thank you for that prelude tonight, and welcome to our annual IFBF meeting here at uh, Southeast Baptist Tabernacle. We're very appreciative of Pastor John Ray and the good people here allowing us to meet here, and we're looking forward to a great meeting. We have Pastor Rick Arrowwood with us, who was many years in the state of Indiana here, and also past president of the IFBF as well. And so we're looking forward to hearing from him and all the things we're going to be able to do tomorrow um, as well. So let's give the service to the Lord and ask his blessing upon our time here together tonight. Father, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for the churches that you have allowed us to uh, see uh, planted, to see them grow, uh, Lord, to see them uh, mature now. And uh, Father, we thank you for the pastors and the people of uh, the state of Indiana that have... Um, Sacrifice so much, really, in a lot of different ways uh, to see these churches uh, grow in the way that they have. And, Lord, we pray that you would multiply our number. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us. And, uh, Lord, especially in the days uh, and the times that we're living in, Lord, I pray that you might just give us courage for the course. And, uh, Lord, help us as we move forward as well. So uh, give us a great meeting here tonight, Lord. May you bless our hearts with the word of God and the singing that we're about to hear. And, uh, Lord, may you strengthen us in many, many ways, mature us as disciples of Jesus Christ here as well. We thank you for each one that's here. Lord, bless Southeast Baptist Tabernacle, Pastor Ray, for hosting this. We thank you for that. And so, Lord, bless each one now for coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. It is good to have you all here. I am the pastor, Pastor John Ray, and uh, I'm going to lead the singing tonight. My voice is not... I don't do that anymore. Can, you can tell why, but I love doing it. So we're going to stand. We're going to sing together. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. You've got to sing it out now.
the, the famous one, you know, that we all know, Rejoice in the Lord. But I want you to, to watch me, all right? So think the song through, okay? So God Never Moves, we'll sing that normal, and you can give your parts as best you can. And then I could not see through the shadows ahead. It's been that time in your life when just, you know, and so it's, it's the shadow. We'll slow it down just a little bit and, and give a chance to uh, think about that. And then, then in verse 3, the light comes on. Now I can see. And did you see, uh, by the way, um, Miss Shelley's post? I'm going to hack it up, but it says something like this. Soon Ron's face will be sight. And sight that has both eyes. And uh, so it was, I'm hacking it up. But anyways, you can read her post and see that. But uh, anyways, now I can see. And then when we get to that last chorus, you just have to watch me because we're going we're gonna to just mess it up when we get to the last chorus. Right? Let's stand. We're going to sing together. Rejoice in the Lord.
God that big. And with each step of the chorus, we're going to build it up until we're shouting at the end. Okay? Over you. This is me. Announces. Here we go. Tomorrow's schedule. There you are. Uh, 9.30, we'll start. We have 9 o'clock if you want to come in for some snacks and donuts and fruit and that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll start at 9.30, 10.15. We have a presentation for Brother John Allen. So the 9.30's first service. We're, we're, we're squeezing you in, brother, because we're trying to get a lot of things in. You've got 45 minutes of that service, all right? And then uh, we'll have uh, Brother John Allen's going to make a presentation and then... 10.45, we'll go to our breakout session. Again, everything's on a 45-minute schedule. Uh, 11.30, we come back in here, and we hear again from Brother Arrowwood, and just, that's whenever, that, that one you don't have any pressure on. Just whenever you're ready to eat lunch, we'll stop, all right? And then we'll go eat lunch, and afterwards we have a business meeting for the IFBS, and we're done. That's tomorrow, and I trust that you'll just, uh, you'll look into it. It's, it's going to be a great time, and hopefully you can make it back. Um, on the table out there on the way out, there's something our church is doing. You might want to pick something up. Uh, this is not so that you can come, I don't think, but uh, it's just so that you might be able to think about this. But we started about three years ago uh, an annual caregivers class. And I tell you, it has turned into quite the event. We have 30, 40 people coming from outside the community just because everybody is in a situation where they're having to give care or they need it. And uh, so learning how to do that, the legal side, we have somebody comes in and talks about legal stuff, somebody comes in and talks about, so you can just pick up the paper out there on the table, it's a, it's a blessing. Anything else I'm supposed to be announcing? Uh, when we see Christ, it's going to be, is that now? Oh, that's now, okay, wow. Well, then let's keep going. You guys get more of me than I expected. Here we go. You guys know this song, keep standing, you're singing great, I want to keep it going. Uh, we'll do two verses of when we see Christ.
And uh, one of their, you know, one of their uh, people that stayed with them is the group home for adults that need help. And uh, he stood at this pulpit and sang this song. And there was not a dry place. I mean, and he sang it with all the things that you might imagine, but wow, it was just powerful. Let's sing that last verse, Life Day will send you Life, Life Day tonight. Um, to most of you, he's no stranger, all right? Uh, but when we were choosing um, back a few months ago to um, who we would have come preach, um, we said, well, let's see if uh, Rick Arrowwood will come back and redeem himself from um, all the things that he did while he was IFBF president. <laughs> I am going to be the IFBF president for um, another less than 24 hours, but it started four years ago when uh, Rick Arrowwood sat across the table from me in a cracker barrel and said, you do it, Rory, you do it. And um, he goes, I'll help you. And then he retired from Crosspoint, and, and then he went into Slavic Baptist Mission, which, you know, we still have a hold of him now because he's, we support him in our church, I don't know. Um, but um, he's, um, he's not retired, let's say, but he has changed ministries. And I'm so glad that he is um, heading up what Neil Cadwell used to do with the Slavic Baptist Mission, Slavic Baptist Institute. And, of course, um, he may even tell us a little bit about what he knows, what's going on in Ukraine right now. But they have been experiencing some revival there uh, through this war. And I've uh, seen a lot of people come to Christ and things. And so I'm looking forward to what he has for us uh, tonight and then two more times tomorrow. Uh, but we're going to, before that, have uh, Brett and Pastor Andy here uh, come and uh, sing for us. What a morning, gloriously bright, with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem. Folded the grave close tomb, filled with light, as the angels announce Christ is risen. See God's salvation plan, wrought in love, born in pain, pain and sacrifice. Fulfilled in Christ the man. 
he lives, Christ is risen from the dead. See Mary weeping, where is he laid? As in sorrow she turns to the empty tomb. Here's a voice speaking, calling her name. It's the Master, the Lord, raised to life again. The voice that spans the years, speaking life, stirring hope, bringing peace to us, will sound till He appears, for He lives, Christ is risen from the dead. One with the Father, ancient of days, through the Spirit who flows, faith with certainty. Honor and blessing, glory and praise to the King, crowned with power and authority. And we are raised with Him. Death is dead, love has won, Christ has conquered. And we shall risen from the dead, and we are raised with him. Death is dead, love has won, Christ is conquered. And we shall reign with him, for he lives, Christ is risen. blessing that was. The music has been fantastic. Thank you for being here uh, this evening. Uh, Dolly and I have been uh, since uh, 2020, June of 2020, representing Slavic Baptist Mission, and I appreciate uh, the fellowship inviting me back to come and preach uh, tonight. And Brother Rory talked about redeeming the time, uh, so I've picked my subject tonight, and my subject is everything you should be telling your people, but you didn't have the guts to Uh, But uh, the Lord's been good to us in in many, many ways. We have a second reason why we like coming to Indiana, because we have five grandchildren that live here. And uh, so we spend every minute of the time we can when we're in the state um, with Bert and his family. And uh, tomorrow night uh, we'll have supper together, and I'll get to hold my grandbabies and hug them and they're growing up so quickly and uh but we're we're thankful to be here take your bible and find numbers chapter 25 please numbers chapter 25 in your bibles and i want to preach really i've thought about this and and you know as preachers we we are subject to change we change our minds we keep it cleaner that way and uh, <laughs> so um, I want to do some character sketches these three times that I'm with you. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to start with the life of Phinehas. And then I'm going to do a sketch about David's life, Lord willing, and then uh, on tomorrow. And then the life of Jehoshaphat. Uh, as we look uh, in the lives of these men, they were all leaders that God raised up and used 
in a powerful, powerful way. In Numbers chapter 25, I, I take my text from verse 11, if you would, please. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Notice Phinehas was zealous for his God. And I want to speak to that. It's very important for us in today's world. Phinehas had his hands full as a young man. This is the first event that we will find in the Old Testament about his life. There are five others. It makes for great preaching in a series of messages. There's no other narrative found in Holy Writ like the one we're going to deal with this evening. Notice that Phinehas is the son of Eleazar. He's not to be confused with Phinehas, the son of Eli. He would be born some 325 years from this date that we're talking about in Numbers chapter 25. However, I found in my research that their lives had some similarities. Both were sons of priests. Both had bright, promising futures. Both would succeed their fathers in the priesthood. Both made willful choices of heart. Both lived and died as a result of their choices. Both went down in holy writ as examples for us. Phinehas, the son of Eli, lived an ungodly life. He died very young in disgrace and in dishonor. But the Phinehas that we're going to examine this evening is the son of Eleazar, the priest. And this Phinehas had a long, godly life. And God used him from the beginning. And his greatest test was the first one. When you look at all six of these stations of Scripture that he shows up in the Old Testament, you'll find this was the most crucial and it was the most critical. And there's truth to that. Think about that just for a moment. When God places us in the ministry, he places us there because he's entrusted us with the truth. And because he has entrusted us with the truth, often we are tried harder in those early years. We're pressed sometimes without measure. And we are, we are tested by him. And he does that on purpose because he wants to see our character and he wants to develop our character. So in our text, when we think about this text that we're going to read, it's, it's really graphic. And as we look at it this evening, uh, I want us to just look at the first few verses of this text as we look at it from the perspective of a man who was zealous for his God. Look at verse 1, and I'll make some commentary along the way as we read. And Israel abode in Shittim. Let me speak first of all about Shittim. Just before they would cross over, they're now on the east side of Jordan. This is the last stop before they cross over. And it's north of Galilee, the Dead Sea, and it's also 
a very luscious land. And they got very comfortable there. And oftentimes when God wants to do something with us, he gives us a test by checking our comfort zone. Think about that with me just for a moment. As we go on reading in verse 1, And the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. So verse 1 has revealed to us the disobedience of many Israelites. And then in verse 2, we see the desires of these disobedient people. And they, that is the Moabites, called the people, that is the Israelites, under the sacrifices of their geodeses, little geodeses, little gods. And the people, that's the Israelites, did eat and bowed down to their, that's the Moabites, gods. So now God is greatly disappointed in this open sin. Then in verse 3, Israel took it another step. Watch it carefully. Israel joined himself. Notice he didn't, the text does not say herself, unto Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel enough to cause a tremendous plague and thousands of people started dying. Here we see that disobedience was expanded as often it is. This is the first mention, may I say, of Israel yoking up with Baal in worship. And that's what was so dangerous about it, is that they were yoking together, mixing the worship of Jehovah with the false god of Baal, violating the first commandment, of course. Verse 4, And the Lord said unto Moses, Now God is speaking to Moses. And watch what Moses receives from the Lord these very words. That all the heads of the people, take all the heads of the people, and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Now Moses carried out these orders. Look at verse 5. And Moses said unto the judges, Slay ye everyone his men. He's talking about the Israelites that were joined unto Baal Peor. So we see the demise of the disobedient. And then in verse 6, And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman. May I say that's a forbidden Moabite. In the sight of Moses, and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Here we see the disrespect of the disobedient. Now, this young man in his early 20s was watching all of this take place. Look at verse 7. And when Phinehas, and by the way, his name means mouth of brass. It also carries the connotation of being strong and true. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. So get this picture in your mind. Moses and the children of Israel 
were at the tabernacle. They were weeping. They were crying. They were praying. People were dying all over because of the sin that had been committed. And God spoke to Moses as to take care of the sin, and he followed God's command. And then we pick the story back up in verse 11. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was, here it is, zealous. That word means holy vengeance. He was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel. What he literally means there, that I not kill the entire nation, is what he was saying. In my jealousy, I would have done that, God said. And by the way, the same Hebrew word for zealous is the same Hebrew word for jealous here. In verse 12, Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace. What an honor. And he shall have it and his seed after him. Even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous, there's our key word again, zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. And God decorated a hero that day. Father, help us with this passage of Scripture. Lord, it's a passage that has so much in it as we look at it. Help us walk away from here understanding fully what it means in the scriptures to be zealous for you. Lord, we might find out tonight we have a wrong concept and a wrong view of it. We might find out tonight that we have been blooming in our heart for a long time. And we thank you, Lord, for the truth that we'll learn tonight about being zealous for our great God. We'll thank you in advance for what you do in our hearts and minds because we ask it for Christ's sake and for his glory, we pray. Amen. This narrative, first of all, is prescriptive. This narrative is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. So I want you to know that none of us should go to the pulpit Sunday with a javelin in our hand. All right? It's given to us so that we would understand what's going on. I don't know about you, but I enjoy reading about what other men say about characters in the Bible. There's a lot of good reading about Phinehas that I found. But Joseph Hall, that great English commentator, perhaps maybe you've used him yourself, said this about Phinehas. He was a man who could not fold his arms and look the other way. That's a great description of Phinehas, who, who had this, this insatious ability to be zealous for his God. Henry Law, the Puritan, said that Phinehas was a man whose heart boiled with holy revenge. But I like what Spurgeon said most. Spurgeon just simply said he was God's champion. And that is so true. God, in his foreknowledge, prepared Phinehas. Now, what I want to do in placing your mental meal tonight is I want us to think about what God did to prepare this young man. It's incredible when we look at it. And I want you to think about how he heard his uncle Moses preach many times. Can you imagine hearing Moses preach? And then 
Can you imagine sitting on his grandfather's lap, Aaron, and hearing him talk about the history of Israel? And then what about walking by his father's side? My, what knowledge this young man began to be funneled into his mind and heart. You see, he heard his grandfather Aaron one day speak to him about his failure with the golden calf, admitting he did wrong. He knew firsthand of the wilderness wanderings, and you've got to remember he was part of those under 20 that lived. In number 16, he witnessed Korah's rebellion against God, and Moses watched, and he watched with Moses the earth open up and swallow up Korah and his band of rebels. The next day, he heard the people accuse Moses and his grandfather Aaron for killing the people. And God, listen now, God sent a plague that killed 14,700 Israelites that day. And until Moses, and you know the passage well, until Moses literally stood between the living and the dead and offered an atonement for their sins. That young man saw that. Think about that in his mind as a young 20-something-year-old now. In Numbers 17, 18, and 19, it's all about the priesthood, Aaron Lodge's budding, beginning of the priesthood. He learned much as all Levites would learn about the priesthood. And then in chapter 20, something happened that he'll never forget. He watched Moses, his uncle, disobey God and strike the rock. Instead of speaking to the rock. In chapter 21, he witnessed the death of thousands as fiery serpents bit his kinsmen according to the flesh. He was watching people die. So many people died, we have no record in Holy Writ about how many died when the serpents came until Moses lifted up the brazen serpent. In Numbers 22 through 24, Phinehas heard the most horrifying message that he will ever hear. He was old enough to understand this was compromise. You see, he heard Balaam in two chapters try to curse God's people. But Balaam could not curse God's people. But what did Balaam do? Balaam talked them into compromise and said, you need to mix and mingle and marry the women of Moab. And something about that set in that young man's heart that said that was wrong. Now, God did all of that, a thumbnail sketch in a young man's life, because God was going to need him because Moses was at the, in the congregation, was at the tabernacle, weeping and crying and praying. And he would need one young man who would stop the plague. One young man who would be zealous for his God. It's important for us to understand this. My proposition is simple. God saves us and calls us by his grace and desires to equip us with the holy zeal found in the Old Testament. I'm convinced of that. While filling us, with the Spirit found in the New Testament. It brings balance and temperance. The Holy Spirit-filled zeal allows us to make decisions in difficult days 
that will lead to God's blessings. And we do have difficult decisions to make as leaders and as pastors and as ministers of the gospel. What I want you to see with me tonight is just three simple, infallible truths that we cannot avoid in this passage. And I want us to go back to verse 1. I want to just walk through this quickly. We'll not spend a lot of time. I've given some commentary to it. But first of all, I want you to see the lifestyles of the people were exposed. God often does this. Now watch how this unfolds in verses 1 through 5. Shittim, as I said, was the very last place before they crossed over and began the conquest of the land. It means occasion. Now may I say to you tonight that isn't it just like God to put us in a test and Satan come along and try to put an occasion in our way to hinder and thwart what God really wants to do. Shittim was a shaded, beautiful, well-watered plain in north Moab. This was the last stop before they would cross Jordan. It had become a place of comfort and ease. And that's what Satan does to us often. He comes and puts an occasion in our way. He turns our heart away from the word of God, away from the ways of God, away from the will of God. You see, the scene was Shittim, but the sins were threefold. And we saw them there in verses 1, 2, and 3. They engaged in immorality, verse 1. They entered into idolatry. And by the way, immorality and idolatry always go together. And I can say, based on the authority of the Word of God, that immorality is nothing more than a form of idolatry. That's exactly what it is. That's why it is so wrong. And so they entered into idolatry in verse 2. And the word called, I want you to look at this. By the way, let me just put a postscript here. Look at verse 2. And they, that's the Moabites, but more importantly, you know who they were? They were the prostitutes at the temple of Baal. And they were male prostitutes and female prostitutes. Now notice what they did to the children of Israel. They called the people. Notice it says that. And the word called in the Bible, when you find it in the Old Testament, it always refers to a first-name basis. God called Moses. God called Abraham. God called you. And God pulled you, called you. And that's, this is the same word. And so they, they called the people. I, I believe they knew many of them by name because they'd gotten very comfortable there under the sacrifices of their gods. And then thirdly, they embraced apostasy. They joined themselves. And the word joined there means that they willfully chose to do it. And that's what happens when we are drawn away of our own lust. And they willfully joined themselves. So because of this triangle affair with sin, they encountered the wrath of God. Oh, the Bible is true. Sin might be fun for a season. But it's true. And so God in his jealousy, in his passion, began to deal with the children of Israel. 
So the lifestyles of these people in Shittim and their sins are, are seen. But notice the solution, if you would, in verses 4 and 5. And the solution is simple. May I put it in modern-day terms? Hang them and slay them. That's exactly what God said to Moses to do. Hang them up before the Lord. Notice where it says to hang them. Against the sun. Not that they would rot, but that God would reveal to everyone what happens when you yield to temptation and when you commit sin. Hang the leaders and slay the followers. That's exactly what verse 5 says. And everyone who willfully joined, verse 5 goes over that word again. So he hung the leaders. He slayed the followers. And it makes no difference whether you're a leader or a follower. The result is the same. And then notice not only their sins and the solution, but look at the sacrilegious mockery of verse 6. One of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Phinehas, we see him as he was prepared by God and he saw all of this transpire in front of him. Now, let's look at his leadership. And this is what I want to highlight. His leadership, secondly, was extraordinary. Notice with me, first of all, he was alert. Phinehas saw it. In other words, Phinehas was praying with his eyes open. And sometimes that's what we have to do. And he was not only alert, but he was a man of action. He rose up, the Bible says. I thought about this. One author said it this way. Those who have the courage to stand up in opposition against sin will always stand out. And that's true. This man so impacted the history of Israel, 500 years later, David speaks of Phinehas in Psalm 106. When he said, then stood up Phinehas and executed judgment, and so the plague stayed. I begin my sermon by telling you about Spurgeon's quote. I only gave you two words. I'd like to give you the sentence. Spurgeon said of Phinehas, it's so true, it goes to the, what I'm building here. God has his champion in the worst of times. And they will stand up when the time comes for them to come forth for God. We live in challenging days in our culture. And God is in the business of raising up champions that will stand and be zealous for his God. Who will not tolerate compromise in the smallest form. Who will not twist hermeneutics. And, and, and exercise preferences over convictions. But someone who would stand and be true to the word of God. You see, the leadership of Phinehas, he was alert. He was a man of action. He was aggressive in, chapter, or in verses 7 and 8. And in the face of wicked sin, he stood and was zealous for his God. In the face of a deadly plague, when people were frozen and did not know what to do out of fear... Phinehas stood, rose to his feet, a man zealous for his God. 
Why? Because he was affected by the sins of the people. He was unwilling. And here's the greater part. Now, now this, this has to get in our mind, in our heart. What upset him so much that he took a javelin in his hand and thrust it through the belly of that couple? Was it because he wanted to be a national hero? No. Did he want recognition? No. Did he want to be in holy writ? No. He didn't even. He wouldn't even. He wouldn't even have thought that when that took place. Why? Where was Israel? What's the bigger picture? They were fixing to go into the conquest of the land. They were fixing to go into the promised land that God had promised them. And Phinehas was unwilling to forfeit the promises of God. He was unwilling to forfeit them. They meant something to him. And that's why all the times he spent walking with his father and sitting in the lap of his grandfather and hearing his uncle Moses preach, it mattered to him. He was affected by this because he did not want his nation to miss God's blessing. And that's what happens when compromise comes in. God wants to bless abundantly without our help. He does not need us. He needs us to be submissive to him and true to him and be zealous for our God. And God will use us. May I say also, fifthly, he was adamant in verse 8. As a courage, as a courageous leader, he was overwhelmed and outraged. He responded immediately. He resolved the plague. And he was audacious without the fear of man. He was no coward. He did not pull the people. He didn't wet his finger and put it up in the air. He didn't have a business meeting. He didn't call for a vote. He just had a right heart before God and saw his brethren dying because of this. He, he had a right hermeneutic of Scripture. He had a right view of God in his holiness. And may I add, he had a deadly right hand with that javelin, didn't he? And God used a young man at a very time he needed him the most. And God, listen, God would not have saved us, called us, and put us in the kingdom for such a time as this if he did not need us. That's the importance. That's the greater picture. It's not about what he did in the tent. There's a greater picture here. May I say and speak lastly of the loyalty of Phinehas. It was extraordinary. I, I was appalled in a good way about who he was. He was dependable, and he dealt with the issue at hand. Like I said, he was no coward. He was determined to defend God's commandments. He was zealous for his God. He loved the Bible. He knew those commandments well. Thou shalt not have no other gods before thee. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them or serve them for the Lord. Thy God is a jealous God. He knew that commandment in his heart. He was taught that as a boy. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He knows all of those, he knew all of those in his heart. And the loyalty of Phinehas. He was dependable. He was determined. And he was devoted. And he was devoted to God without any discrimination. Now I want to take you to another segment of this message. The question is, 
who is this young man and who is this young lady? They are named in the Bible. And whose children they were. I want to point it out to you. Look at verse 14. The young man's name was Zimri. His name means, are you ready for this? To stroke the instrument. Oh, he was the BMOC. He was the charlatan. He was the girl's boy. That's who he was. But he was also the son of Salu. And Salu was the prince chief of the house of the Simeonites. And they suffered the most of this plague. Most of them were Simeonites that died. And while this young man was seeking pleasure for a moment in a tent, his father had already sacrificed his life at the command of God through Moses to hang him up in the sun where everybody can see. And he had no clue whatsoever. Who is this girl? Look at verse 15. Cosby, whose name means vain deceiver. Wasn't it something about how names sometimes fit people in the Bible? Vain deceiver. One who manipulates by lying. She was the daughter of Zer, who is head over the chief house of Midian. He was the most popular Moabite politician. How sad. But here's the real point. The real point is it didn't matter whose children they belonged to. Phinehas was zealous for his God, and he did not play politics whatsoever. He did the right thing at the right hour, paid a tremendous price for it. May I say he was decorated and described as God's champion in verse 12. He gave to him the covenant of peace. I wish you had time to help us see that tonight because he was zealous for his sake. When I got through studying the life of this man, I sat down at my desk and I wrote out some principles that I learned from studying this man. And I've pushed it all into a little thimble for you tonight. But in my searching in my own heart and coming up with these statements, I was reminded of of the other times in his life when he avenged Israel of the Midianites in Numbers chapter 31. It's a great story. I trust you'll read it and perhaps maybe even allow God to speak to your heart through it. Then there was the purifying of Israel during the Benjamite War in Judges 19, 20, and 21. And if you read those chapters, those truly are the, it's the sewer pipe of the Bible when you read it. And then he sat down during a civil war, and he didn't use a javelin, but with great diplomacy, he stopped the civil war. So wise is a young man who knows when to throw a javelin and when to sit down and say, hey, let's fix this. We can do this. We don't go throwing javelins all the time. We'd be in a mess. So his life affected me, especially when he honored his father when his father died. All of these are stations of Scripture that reveal who this man called Phinehas is. And here are a few of the statements that I wrote out about holy zeal. Holy zeal has its roots deeply embedded in the commandments and principles of God's Word. Holy zeal never folds its arms and looks the other way, 
regardless of the circumstances. Holy zeal never dwells in the heart of a narcissistic leader. Godly zeal is never found in a haughty heart, an arrogant attitude, or a snooty spirit. Holy zeal holds to the fact that Bible truth is immutable. Therefore, wrong is never right. Holy zeal is observed by others through our actions, but cannot be bought or transferred to others. Your greatest mentor cannot give you holy zeal no more than he can fill you with the Spirit. Holy zeal is never intimidated by a man's position, his intellect, his influence, or his money. Holy zeal never seeks the line of least resistance, nor will it ever say, what is the easiest way? Holy zeal is never compromised in the name of compassion or for the purpose of coexisting. Holy zeal is not passive when truth is in jeopardy. It swings on the hinges of confrontation and often finds itself in the arena of conflict. Holy zeal has the keen ability to magnify our motives as it puts on display every fiber of our character. Holy zeal is authoritatively aggressive. It does not wait to see what others do or what others may not do. And holy zeal sometimes prays with its eyes open so it will know what to do in a moment when God wants to entrust to us his word, his commandments, his truth that we dare not compromise. You see, Phinehas was a man zealous for his God. And he's gone down in holy writ as a man who was unique in his, present, uh, his preparation. He was unbending in his character. He was undaunting in his courage. He was unflinching in his fidelity. He was unwavering in his integrity. He was unbelievable in his loyalty to the Word of God. And without question... He had zeal for his God. I don't know about you, but when I got through going through his life, I got on my knees in my study and I said, God, help me know the balance of having a passion for you, zealous for you, and when to negotiate and know the difference between and know who I can help in negotiations and who might need a stronger hand of leadership. If we're going to be successful in the ministry, it's going to take figuring out what God did in a man like this and tomorrow, Lord willing, about David and about Jehoshaphat, Lord willing, so that we can learn that God equips us. He equips us and prepares us many times for a specific event. Now, I'm 45 years in the ministry now. I'm a young 71. Don't ever forget it. All right? And I've been able to look back over my life. And I've been able to see when I had to have people help me. I began pastoring when I was 27. I cannot tell you the mess I made of some things. 
and the fact that I had to fix them, those that I could. But I do know this. I know that God raises us up and calls us. Don't complain about the times that we live in. I want to encourage you, don't complain about it. Because what you're doing is you're questioning God's call in your life. He needs you in this culture. He needs you right now. And if we if we sing the, the if we if we're just full of the grumbling in our spirit, then God will say, you know, I thought I was going to trust Him with that, but if I can't trust Him with that, I'm going to have to raise someone else up. God is looking for some Phineases that will stand up and do what is right in a moment, an hour when he depends upon you the most. And those hours, I promise you, if you, some of you already know some of them, you could write a book about them. So could I. And some of you are in the throes of learning it. And we will have to learn it over and over and over again. May God help us to be like this man Phineas, who loved his God so much that he was zealous for him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the life of Phinehas. I'm overwhelmed by his life. I pale in comparison to him. And when we try to stuff in just a brief time together all of these events in his life and what he went through just in one event, we walk away saying, help us, Lord. Help us to be zealous for you and know when to be tough and hard and stand our ground and when to be tender and sweet and loving and kind and gracious. Our Lord himself displayed it, whether it was with the money changers or the Pharisees or those that he loved dearly. We see him exercising these principles. Help us, Lord, I pray. In your name, amen. You've been phenomenal, and Brother Rick, thank you. That message is great. That I love when you pull somebody out that, you know, we don't hear about that often and just, let us uh, really chew on that for a while. So be back tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. We'll start with donuts. 9.30 things start, and uh, you'll have a chance to have these things, several breakout sessions for uh, college groups, for uh, teenagers, for uh, different things that are happening tomorrow as well, and uh, then lunch, and so look forward to that. Stick around, fellowship with one another. Nobody's in a hurry, right? I had a friend that uh, was from Brazil, and he said, Pastor John, the night is still child. Yes, it is. It's still child, so just don't worry about it. It's not going to get any colder. It's not going to get any warmer, but hey, there you go, right? Let's stand. We'll let you be dismissed. The Lord bless you. Keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Give you peace. God bless you. You are dismissed.